We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... I personally think he's a first-round guy. I, I don't think there's any doubt. Now... Does a team need a center? Do they see him in that mold? I think the guy's going to be an all pro, perennial all-pro player for 10 years. I don't have any doubt in my mind. The weird thing I've gotten is he's a left-handed center, which hell, I don't know what that matters. Um, and then he's not very athletic. And I'm like, you know, a lot of times, like, do you watch film? You know, I mean, we, we, we change screens to pull him on screens. We change some of our protections to pull him on protections, you know. So it's going to be what a team needs. Do they need a center? You know what I mean? It's kind of like running back. I mean, how many first-round running backs do you see anymore? I do think it's changing a little bit just because interior O-linemen I mean, excuse me, interior D linemen are so good. I mean, hell, you got to block Aaron Donald, you know. But, you know, if you look at it, there's what on average one or two interior, true interior guys taken in the first two rounds. To me, if you're an interior guy taken even in the second round, it's like you're a first-round pick. I, I think that's what he is. I, I've relayed that. I've got, you know, a lot of guys that trust me at that level. And, you know, we'll see what happens. It's got to be a fit. You know, I know from talking to people, I mean, obviously he's going to blow them away with how smart he is. And now is he going to fit their scheme? I think he fits any scheme, but that's for them to decide. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Bill Bedenbaugh, OU's co-offensive line coach on NFL draft prospect Creed Humphrey. A hot name among Bills fans who love NFL draft uh, draft prep, and that's over there. And you you found it on the All Tube, right? I found it on on YouTube. I think it's Tulsa World's page. I don't know what that is. I don't know why Tulsa. I just assume Tulsa, like Tulsa University. Maybe. We'll leave, I'll, we'll leave a link in the show description if you want to watch the answer of Bill Bedenbaugh on Creed Humphrey. We are here tonight to continue our NFL Draft preview preview series with Russ Brown of Cover One, here for his annual visit to the Rockpile Report to walk us through offensive line prospects. He's one of 
two people, Russ and Matt Waldman, are the only ones that we've had on every single year we've covered draft positions for their specific position. Waldman running back, Russ Brown, O-line. That's a pretty good run. Yeah. That's longevity right there. Yeah. Commitment to the Rock Pile Report. You know what? Hey, it it goes a long way. We very much appreciate it. Commitment commitment to helping us not sound like absolute hacks come draft season. Because, Chris, can you imagine me out here trying to talk about offensive line technique? I mean, (laughs) if we were on video, people might buy it based on the length of your arms. (laughs) They're like, look at this orangutan. Clearly, he must know something about blocking. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely... Like, if, if this was on video... And I and I could and I see you like reaching, you know, like in the first couple minutes. I'm like, oh, this guy definitely knows about offensive line play and hand placement based on that on that reach. Now, before we get into things, last week we finished an awesome podcast for with Pat Moran of Talking Buffalo. Which was a lot of fun because it was a loose hang. It wasn't as structured as some of our other draft shows that I like trying new things. And that was fun. Just having a hang with another podcaster. Still talking about something draft related. And I managed to learn something. Yeah, you wouldn't think you would see an episode of Rockpile Report and then mock drafts in the title. (laughs) And yet here we are. See, it's all about growth and trying new things. And with that in mind, I want to start this show... Listener Kyle Washington from Vegas. Chris. This is like the third time he's done this. We're blessed that he goes out of his way to procure us some of Nevada and uh, some of the best craft beer from that region. I mean, he sent us some IPAs that are over 10%. Triple looks like hopped, motor oil. Triple hop stuff. There's an imperial stout in there that I can't. I don't like stouts, but the last one he sent was so. It was like a milkshake in a glass. And then. I ended up. We had it the night of the draft. We, I was so excited. We cracked into the into it on draft night, and I was already drinking. And it put me so far over the edge that my wife was just like, "I'm going to make you go to the garage if you don't if you can't quiet if you can't quiet down, kick it down a notch, yeah, or that, you're going to have to go to the garage." That stuff was like motor oil. <laughs> it was it, amazing. It, high viscosity <laughs> beer from Nevada. And I think he sent us an, another stout. That He's, I have in the fridge. So he but. sent us a care package, but in the in the idea of trying new things, he sent us a can of mead, Chris. A mead. Google he, what mead is. Did he write it down on the on the sheet that I he put? He did. But so I I'm looking at it right now. Mic. It's superstition meadery, strawberry sweethearts, honey, strawberry, vanilla, lactose. Uh, I'm taking a look out of Prescott, Arizona. Yeah. Superstitionmeadery.com. I, Chris, Google what a mead is for me. I don't, yeah, I have. I guess it's the name of the the brewery. Okay, so what is it? Just look at mead. Well, I'm on their website right now, superstitionmeadery.com. I've cracked it. Here, pour it. It smells very sweet. Pour it, it in smells a glass very for me. sweet. That, that we oh, can... I'm surprised by this. It has a very thin appearance. It's got a very thin. I would have when I saw honey and strawberry. I would have thought it was thicker. This is a very thin, but it's got a nice head on it, so it's very carbonated. Let's take a look here, Chris. Now take a whiff of that and let me know what you think. It smells very fruity, like a. Uh... 
According it, to this, mead is an alcoholic beverage created by fermenting honey with water, sometimes with various fruits and spices or grain. Okay. So it's not quite a wine. It's more just honey. Hmm. To me, it, it, this has a very... It takes me to a strawberry milkshake at Steak and Shake type of scent. Well, the can has an old 50s-style diner on it, as you can see. Yeah. It lo- it, look, it, and there's people sharing milkshakes, so maybe that's the idea. Well, here, bottoms up. And yeah. Kyle, th- thanks for sending us on a journey. This I've had a lot of booze in my life. This is new. Yeah, the, the can looks like... It looks like a scene from Pulp Fiction, almost. Hmm. When they go to Jackrabbit Slims. Oh, my God. Chris, that's smooth. That's delicious. I hate sweet things. This this is... This is good. I I wouldn't... Based on the color, it's it's a very uh, pinkish, reddish color. So it, it, it has the... The look like it. Oh, this is gonna come in like strawberry. And for me, I solely taste honey. I taste honey and cream with a little hint of strawberry on the back end and some vanilla. And for not being a beer, this is really tasty. Chris, I'm I'm ashamed that I like this because this is like a dessert. It's dessert in a can, and it happens to be six percent alcohol. Yeah, I think my girlfriend would like this. I. <laughs> Chris, this is one of those things where I'm glad they don't sell this around us. Because if they did, I mean, I would be drunk after dinner all the time. This is incredible. Yeah, this Kyle? Is, this is definitely a dessert beer. Oh, this is, this is you skip dinner and you go straight to dessert. <laughs> you skip dinner and you have about four of these and you call it a night. Yeah, it's like if you have a... a, a <laughs> if it's, it's almost like if you have a, 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 like a five-course chemical dinner. <laughs> you have an appetizer of like a Miller High Life. It's one of my favorite things when Chris uh, you, we go out to eat and the waitress asks Chris what he wants to order and he goes, no, no, I'm having a chemical dinner tonight. And, and they don't get it. It's incredibly off-putting for everyone at the table and the waitress. She's like, oh, I, oh you're a degenerate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't help I can't help but it's my goal, life goal to make other people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> So that you bring them down to your level. Yeah. Because that's how you are in social <laughs> All of the time. I, this is surprisingly good. Kyle, you've outdone yourself again. Thank you so much, brother. We very much appreciate it. Guys, superstition, what is this? Superstitionmetery.com. Go check it out. Now it's time for some offensive line talk. And as we always do, we start with the state of the roster. The current cap allocation for the Bills is just north of about $37 million. Thirty, okay. I was gonna say, can I, can I, can I guess where that ranks in the league? Do you have that? Well, so the percentage of the total cap is nineteen point five percent. Where do you think that ranks among what? Uh, thinking about the talent we have on hand, how do you think that stacks up across every team in the NFL? I think we would probably place between nine and sixteen. We are tenth. All right. You were, you were almost out of the running there. The fact that you went with ninth, if you had said 10th, I wasn't going to give it to you. But I'll give this one to you. you, you you've done I, well. I, I figure it comes, I was in my head just now thinking, oh, we got the Morse contract mm-hmm. and then the Deion Dawkins contract. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of went maybe inside top 10 or right at 
number 10. <laughs> I just realized I'm making porn noises over here while I'm drinking. <laughs> it's I, sorry, guys. I know there was probably really like... Yeah, Uma Thurman I, should be I, on the team. I'm realizing people who are listening to this are like, is that guy moaning in the back? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You know, we're professionals over here. And you have five starters currently signed to your active roster. I think one of the only positions besides wide receiver and quarterback where there are no questions in your starting lineup, or at least heading into the season, you know that you have five guys you can roll out there and call your starters. It starts with Deion Dawkins and Darrell Williams. For the first time since the turn of the century, the Bills have bookend tackles that leave us as fans able to say, hey, I'm excited to see how they play this week and have that have that statement not be dripping with sarcasm. Dawkins has turned into a pretty reliable piece to our offensive line. I mean, he's a captain. They feed off his energy. He's one of the now he's becoming growing into one of the leaders of this football team. And he's a reliable blocker on Allen's blind side. He does really well handling most NFL teams' high-end pass rush talents. There haven't been too many guys who have given him fits. At the same time, Darrell Williams has been just an absolute ray of sunshine for us because, I mean, Chris, do you remember how bad our right tackle position was? I mean, we've talked about it in previous podcasts. Brad Butler was the last guy I didn't absolutely want to jettison into the sun. That's it. That's how far. Yeah, and you don't even remember who that I don't, is. No, I do not remember. When you say tack, when you say poor tackle play to me, the first name that jumps into my head is Mike Williams from Texas. <laughs> well, the thing I liked was that he was able to prove that his previous status as an All Pro wasn't without merit or just a flash in the pan. He's capable of high level pass pro. I mean, if you want to see it, go back and rewatch the Steelers Bills game. Yeah, some cranky Steelers fans say he held a lot. Who gives a shit? He got away with it. <laughs> he got he did his job, which was to frustrate TJ Watt, one of the NFL's premier pass rushers. I'll take that. And together, they're the best offensive tackle tandem we've had in years. And given their contract, they're gonna be around for at least two more. Cody Ford and John Feliciano as our starting guards. And the situation there isn't quite as rosy. I mean, Ford was drafted to be the answer for Buffalo at right tackle. He was supposed to be the thing that kept us from having to spend the type of money we just spent this offseason. And instead, he spent his rookie year rotating with Ty and Saki week over week. And then last year was moved to offensive guard. And he held that job until he hurt his knee, but he wasn't doing it well. He wasn't exactly a world beater at guard when he bounced out for the year. I feel like that's the uh, like that's like the play for uh, rookies, I guess, is... If you're drafted to be tackle like Ford was, and then after a minute, it's now this ain't going to work. And then your last hope is. What's the opposite of Cordy Glenn? We have to move you inside. Cordy Glenn Glenn fell to the second round because people thought he was nothing more than a guard. And he proved to be a pretty good tackle for the Bills. Yep. Good enough that we could trade him as part of the package to get Josh Allen. But. This is the opposite. This seems like we we landed a guy in the second round and thought he was a tackle, and he's very much a guard, maybe. <laughs> he hasn't proven that he has long-term starting potential at the guard position. I mean, we can't protect... I mean, Feliciano, he, again, he, he missed the early portion of the season, kind of almost the polar opposite of Ford. He missed the early part of the season with injury, but returned down the stretch to try to help stabilize the interior offensive line. He wasn't exactly a liability, but we can't pretend that he's the best offensive guard the Bills have ever had. 
Both of them have some athletic upside and a little bit of sandpaper to their game, which is probably what I like the most. I like the fact that they've got some grit. You know, I think back to that Giants game, uh, uh, not last year, but in 2019, when it's week two and somebody put a late hit on Josh Allen and you saw John Feliciano just, he was ready to take on the Giants defensive line. And Cody Ford was just like, oh, shit, I got to have this guy's back. But he feeds off the, they're like the Bash brothers. He fed off his energy and ran over to try to get in the middle of it. And the two of them have that dynamic that I think is, it's at least admirable. I like it. I like it that our football team has that, even if they're both lacking a certain polish that you'd like to see overall. Ultimately, their ceilings are a little bit lower if you're talking about being a Super Bowl contending team that I think I'd like to see. At center, you've got Mitch Morse. Morse was previously the highest paid offensive center in the NFL, and he took a pay cut to stick around this year. Something that indicates that both he and the franchise might see the end of the road coming. Now, that's a move you make if you think your position's in danger, right? 100%. So, Morse isn't a mauler. He's a technician, but that's okay. He's part of the reason we have a quarterback who's now comfortable standing in the pocket and delivering downfield confidently. Allen has learned to trust that Morse will always be in the right spot at the right time in order to keep him protected. And he diagnoses and reacts well enough as the pivot man to give our quarterback time to operate or at the very least escape when people send extra pressure in the A and B gaps. He's solid for now, but given his age, concussion history and another season with an injury scare, his long term outlook on maybe not even on this team, but in the NFL seems kind of murky. Beyond that, you've got depth options of uh, Bates, Bakker, DeVay, Adams, and Hart. The depth options on this team are... Did you say Forrest Lamp? And Forrest Lamp. That's true. Outside of Lamp, I'd say that the depth options on this team are only marginally interesting as starters. Okay, Bakker wasn't terrible in relief of Cody Ford, but in that playoff loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, Bakker got exposed pretty badly, right? Yeah. Bates and DeVay are kind of meh. Bates, I saw him play in the Eagles game, and I don't remember that because I was... That's one of those drunken rage blackout games. Yeah. Um, well, then you got... Uh, was it Bobby Hart that we signed from Cincinnati? Bobby Hart might be the most experienced backup currently on the roster. Uh, he's got some atrocious tape out there. Like, that signing happened while I was in COVID quarantine, and it was one of the highlights of that day, was just watching social media react to our signing of Bobby Hart. And considering how easy it was for people to go out there and find video clips of him just getting abused, (laughs) it's like, that's not good. There's one rep where him and former Bill Quinton Spain, right off the snap, Joe Burrow drops back to pass, and neither one of those guys are even, like, they, they don't have, they, two pass rushers run right past them, and neither one of them touches anyone. And you're just like, wait a minute, what the hell is that guy? You mean to tell me he's an NFL football player? No, that's, that can't be, that can't be right. He's also the owner of some wild opinions that he thought it was keen to throw around on social media. So obviously people have it out for him. But when you look at what Hart is, he's got 66 games of experience under his belt. And even if he's not a starter, I, I want you to think about this. Marshall Newhouse 
you all remember that human turn style that occupied space in our 2018 offensive line? That guy is still playing in the NFL. That should underscore for you the fact that experience depth in the NFL is hard hard enough to come by. So much so that Marshall Newhouse still has a job somewhere in the NFL. That's it. That's why Bobby Hart's here. Trey Adams, he is upside as a guy. I mean, what, in college, people thought he could be a first-round pick. He had some injury problems. And lack of development, maybe because of his injuries, have just stunted his growth. And I don't know if he has any ability to contribute at the NFL level. I know some people are high on him. But I just... Those are the types of players, Chris. You know, it's like uh, the Duke Williamses of the world and these for every I think this is the problem that as a franchise, we fall in love with these guys who have stories like Fred Jackson or we fall in love with the undrafted free agent guys who become players for your football team. But the reality is most of them are undrafted free agents because people who make millions of dollars a year to decide who is and who isn't NFL talent decided on. And that doesn't bode well. It just doesn't. So Adams being anything for this team ever is a massive statistical outlier. And I'm not going to bank on it. Forrest Lamp, he was the the most recent addition, I think. I think they added him after Hart. Last week, yeah. Definitely after Hart. Two weeks ago. Yeah, he was a... Two weeks ago, Forrest Lamp. Oh, no, I was still in quarantine, I think, when that happened. Yeah, I think it was last week after we did... It might have happened the day after we recorded our podcast, but the Forrest Lamp signing I like because he is, he was what, an early second round pick and injuries have kind of been his thing, but, but he played, didn't he play like a full season this past year and do okay, right? I think, I think he played a full season this past year. That was his first his first full season of his NFL career. It was the first full season of his NFL career. He 2018 he had two games. 2019 he had seven games. 2020 16 games, 16 starts. So I understand the injury prone label, but maybe he's on the other side of that. I mean, Darrell Williams was in the same position last year and he came in. I mean, I thought he was here to be a bit player. And that he would be a camp guy that we either traded or what? I never saw him taking the right tackle job the way that he did. His presence here pretty much underscores everything that I just said about Cody Ford and John Feliciano. Guess what? There's another guy in the fold with NFL experience who was highly thought of enough when he was drafted to be someone, to be a premier player for his team. And he was a second round pick. So, with that in mind, he's got an opportunity now that he's finally played a full season for a, a good offense or a good interior offensive line out in, uh, in L.A. to come here and push our incumbent starters to see if maybe he takes one of those jobs. He might be one of the surprises of camp, depending on how Ford shows up, depending on how Feliciano shows up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that brings us to the draft philosophy of the Bills. And when you the Bills offensive line really was the tale of two units in 2020. On one hand, Josh Allen was one of the league leaders in time to throw in the NFL. And that combined with just the amazing contingent of weapons we have keyed one of the league's most dangerous offensive attacks. And our offensive line did a great job in that regard. They worked their asses off giving Allen the time 
not just the time to throw, but the confidence to stand in the pocket. Chris, you've never seen him just stand there the way he did last year. And what you saw was his ability to throw the ball. We, we know that he can throw it 40 yards on a rope. When he stands in the pockets and uses the, uses the right mechanics, you watched him make some ridiculous throws. You watched him orchestrate a passing offense. Week one, when he was tearing up the Jets, I made a Seagram's bet and immediately lost it with you that he couldn't. He, there's no way he breaks the 300-yard mark. He threw for 300 yards in most of his games. <laughs> That's incredible. This and it's a, a savage. And it's a byproduct of what our offensive line gave him the confidence to stand there and do. On the other hand, our offensive line was one of the NFL's worst run-blocking units. And there's not a single individual player you can blame. As a unit across the board, they suffered. I mean, some more than others. But our running back statistics reflected those struggles. Now, our offensive line is good, but not elite by any stretch. And certainly not one of the NFL's more well-rounded, despite the fact that we're paying 10th, 10th in the NFL money for it. And while the offensive tackle spots seem to have their futures pretty much determined for the next few seasons, there's a litany of question marks when it comes to the interior offensive line. Can and should we be aiming for a right guard with a higher ceiling than John Feliciano as a starter? What if Cody Ford doesn't ever truly develop into a well-rounded offensive guard? What's the future of our offensive center position look like if the team does indeed hope to or maybe has to move on from Mitch Morse in 2022? With that in mind, no, there isn't a glaring immediate need for the Buffalo Bills in the offensive line, and they have other positions like defensive end, cornerback. There's other places that prop, you could say those are sexier picks or places where, oh, this needs to be upgraded more, I should say more quickly. But there's things here that Bean may want to take a deep look at over the three days of the upcoming NFL draft because this team for its money needs to get more consistent up front if we are going to pay Josh Allen what I think he's inevitably going to get paid and if we want this offensive production to continue while being able to afford to do that we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kind of stuff. So obviously there's some needs here for the Buffalo Bills. There's some things to look at as we launch into the draft. And to help us parse through them, we have one of the longest tenured guests of the Rockpile Report when it comes to draft talk, Mr. Russ Brown. How are you doing, sir? 
I am doing well, fellas. How are you guys? It looks like you guys are drinking some frosted brews, and it looks pretty good. Um, yeah. I'm quite jealous, but <laughs> it looks good. I refuse to podcast sober. I can't do it. I just I don't have it in me to do this without a drink in my hand. Now, you've become quite the professional over there. I mean, you run the cover, host of the Cover One Draft podcast. You've become a radio talent for 1010KXPS, and you're a connoisseur of draft season radio spots. And you just put out your first ever NFL draft guide over at CoverOne.net. Now, I've downloaded it. I've parsed through it. I like it. It's a pretty simple format. I like it. The graphics are – I know you – I saw on Twitter that you did the graphics yourself. Chris is waving his fingers at me. Yeah, you – I'm surprised, Russ, that you didn't have in your draft guide mouse size because you're a Lions fan. you got to bite kneecaps now. I figure mouse size has got to be a part a part of the draft guide. That's actually something I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, do they only take a player with like X amount of teeth? And like, you know, <laughs> like if you're a wrestling fan, like Chris Benoit would have been written off, right? Like yep. that would have been off the off the list because that guy had no teeth. But like, do you need a certain amount of teeth? Like, that's really good. I should I should do that next year. I, I will consider that. Meanwhile, I'm over God, here. My, my team is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here with a. I've actually recorded it. I have a 76 and three quarter inch wingspan, and I'm only five eleven. Uh, so I've got I've got a big wingspan. I've got I've got a set of chompers on me. I feel like your coach would take a look. I feel like he'd at least give me I mean, a walk on tryout. I think he would, man. I mean, he really would. I mean, at this point and how he's – the roster that he's taken over and the pieces that they've already moved, I mean, there's definitely some openings there. So uh, I, I could get you set up here in Metro Detroit. You could come on down, get a quick workout in, see if it's for you. And, you know, by the fall, you could be knee-deep in some kneecaps. <laughs> I love it. So radio, do, do working in radio, I'm interested to hear how – how has this kind of developed for you and how are you taken to it? Like, like what's your initial reaction been? Cause I think this is probably what it's been about seven, eight months now. Yeah, it's, um, dude, it's, it's been, it's quite, it's crazy. I, I really don't know how else to put it. Um, radio's what I've always wanted to do since I pretty much figured out I could never play beyond high school football. And I had to figure something out and like, all my friends were going for like business and marketing. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's just not me. Like sports are my thing. And I've always wanted to do sports radio. And, um, it got kind of put on the back burner because of having a kid at a young age and time is a thing and money's a thing and priorities change or whatever. But, um, I just continued to work on doing draft stuff for like 10, 11 years and I'm still obviously doing it, but I've been connected to uh, enough people at this point where, you know, I'm on the radio every single week, multiple times a week, multiple times a day. Like I'm, you know, 11 o'clock, I'm on the, on the radio. Sometimes I'm on at two o'clock in the afternoon for Hawaii. It's all over the place, but consistently every single week I'm on in California in a small market. But, um, you know, when draft season hits, I talk draft stuff. And when I get beyond that, we talk baseball, football, basketball, everything. And it's, it's a humbling experience because it's just, I never would have thought that the draft would have brought me to this point. And I love just being able to talk the draft and being able to just talk sports in general. So being able to do it on the radio is great, but it's always great being able to talk to even, even on podcasts and and everything else, because it's just, 
it's just it's just people talking sports and it's just so fun to do and it's just humbling because i get to talk to so many cool people across everywhere like like i said hawaii california etc and even with you guys in, in new york and everything like one of these days i will make that drive when life is normal we will be at a bills game and we will be wasted in a parking lot and i will probably jump through a table because i'm an idiot awesome. but it's like it's it's a very humbling experience i've i've met so many cool people and it's just it's awesome man i'm i'm we were excited for you when we heard the news i'm glad to hear it's going well now you just put out your very first draft guide you created it you worked on the graphics yourself and it's available for download over at cover1.net. I've had a chance to look at it. I like it. It's I, I like the fact that it's concise. It's quick. It's easy. You can flip through it and find players. I like the way you have them stacked by your rankings, by round. You didn't overdo it, which is one of the things I like. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like some people put together draft guides and they throw so much information at you that it almost... It's hard for, especially for a layperson, to pick through what's actually valuable information. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. No. And like, and again, and again, the people that put out 250 players, 350 players, by, by all means, good for you. I love the detail to it, but like, like I said, time is a thing for me. I'm doing multiple different things, and it's like I can't put in 300 players. Like, like you're literally <laughs> talking. There's 300. There, there's 365 days in a year. My kids in football, travel, baseball. I have a wife. I've got a place up north. I've got things to do all the time. I, I the fact that I get to the players that I do to me, I feel is like, hey, that's great. I can get into my just kind of my gist of notes and like people like simple. Simplicity is genius, right? You don't need to overcomplicate this process. Like the average fan really doesn't care that much about every little ins and outs. Now, I care about the ins and outs because I'm a draft nerd deep down, but I'm not going to spend the time to overload this and make this this process more complicated than it needs to be. I'm going to give you the quick hitters and what's important about a specific player because, I mean, that's what I want. I want the average fan to just know that stuff. No, this, and that's something that, like, like me, so- the, the, the lay fan, me, the yes. lay fan, I got, you mean, for me, you got to have, in your draft guide, the number one long snapper coming out this year, and if they're going to be drafted, because that matters to me. Yeah, but outside of that, like, yeah. th- th- no, but your thing is what you put together was perfect for a guy like Chris, and that's what I thought of as I was reading through it. I think you did a really nice job with it. The reception, how's the reception been so far? And I mean, we were joking about it off air, but how do you navigate the fact that you really can't do anything nice for people without? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no matter what, it's like, you know, like I, I, I put out some of like the, a few months ago, like just kind of some draft ideas of like what the images could look like. And like people were throwing ideas at me, which I appreciate it, but it was like, okay, this is dumb because at the end of the day, it's what I envision, <laughs> not what you envision. And it's like, also, I don't even know if I can do that because if I put like NFL draft logo, like I'm going to have the NFL breathing down my neck because oh, I stole sure. their image or logo. And it's like, you know, and like, that's why I didn't make anybody pay for it. I just optioned like, hey, if you're feeling generous, you want to pay for it via charity, go ahead, throw the money to people that really need it. And we'll, we'll call it even. But ultimately, it was like, you, you just can't always make everybody happy with it. But when it was released and through it the last few weeks, it's been actually really positive. So while there is some negative people out there on Twitter, like the DMs have been pretty fluid. I've, I've had some texts from people that I've become really close with in, in the business and 
they reached out via text and it's just been it's been really positive and it's like like i said with the with the with radio it's been humbling but this even more so because a lot of time goes into it a lot of effort and everything was done by myself I, I didn't have an editor i didn't have a graphics person i did it all myself and i stumbled into doing the graphics like i have a, a program on my computer of cutting up like the images and like basically like photoshopping them myself and the way i did it literally in one try in like five minutes and i was like wow that looks actually really cool and then i just was like wait did i remember how to do that because i didn't write it down or anything <laughs> i was like oh man I, I clicked a couple of buttons did i do the right thing and I remembered and I kept doing it and then it just was like clockwork and I just started pounding them out and I was like, man, this is, it was fun doing it. See, and guys, this is where, this is where I, I love it talking to guys like Russ because you can tell Russ was like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be fun. I'm going to put it out there. It's over at cover1.net. I urge you guys to all go check it out. And like you said, there's, there's no cost. It's free. You can donate, uh, I can't remember the specific charity, but there's a link to donate to charity in the event that you do want to give him, not even him, but you want to, you feel like you, you want to throw some compensation for what you're getting out of this. You can, it all goes to charity. And bef this is where Chris, I feel like if we could just teach guys like Russ to be more like us, like for all the things he does that are great. Way better than anything we can do. I mean, we're hacks. Yeah. I mean, we'll, but, we'll link if, everything in the description in the show. But if he could take just a little bit of our narcissism where yeah. we don't care what people think. We don't care about people's feelings. What, what are you talking about? There, there's no one who can rock my boat because I just think I think I'm great. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> if we could just give you a little bit of that. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get you in eventually. We really will. We'll bring you to team narcissism and it'll be great. I mean, not for anybody I else. I mean, look, just, I I can carry a pretty big chip on my shoulder and there is definitely times where I'm like, you know what, but I just try to hold back because I just, I think, I think ultimately I'll get roasted and then I'll get probably too mean and I don't, I, I'm setting something up nice here. I don't want to burn anything down yet. <laughs> so because like, oh. you're a professional and you're a decent human being, something that Chris <laughs> and I really don't have, like we don't have to, we don't have to worry about that. You're also one hell of a draft analyst, which is how you ended up with all these opportunities in the first place. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. So when we look at the 2021 NFL offensive line class, first of all, the thing I've been asking all of our guests so far this year, I've been trying to draw corollaries to previous years because this is kind of a unique season. There wasn't a lot of in-person scouting allowed. A lot of the I mean, pro days instead of a combine. A lot of the a lot of the visits that you do, you don't get any real FaceTime with these prospects. It's all done over Zoom. It's all heavily filtered. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to glean some things from that. And so it can throw off a lot of the draft prep that usually gets done by professional scouts. So I'm sure that there's some trickle down to how people view these classes. So I'd like to try to get a feel for how the current crop of analysts look at this group or their respective groups and compare them to previous years just based on the limited information they have. When you look at this class and you look at previous year's classes, do you think that this is a step up, a step backwards from what previous years have offered? Or do you think it's something of more of a mixed bag? I think, man, it's it's so tough because last year we saw 18 offensive guards drafted and like 
it was a deep class last year, just going off of last year alone, from offensive tackles to offensive guards. I mean, you saw uh, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas. You saw the 18 guards. You saw a, a handful of centers in there as well. And we could very well see the same thing this year. But I think ultimately it, it's a very deep class. But from what I've gathered, it's I don't, I don't think it's as deep as – last year but it is a very good class and i think you need to take advantage of it and you have to do it early and that doesn't mean you know you go from the 30th pick and you trade all the way up into you know 15 to get a player like you don't need to necessarily do that because there is some really good options here and there could be some really big sleepers that are are very talented and then they they come they they get it together and, and they they figure it out when they get into the NFL and they get the more consistency. They're not, you know, one week they're not playing because of COVID and then the school shuts down and all that stuff because there were so many inconsistencies within college. You take the Big Ten, for example. Players were opting out because they didn't think they were having a season and then they ended up having a season and then they didn't really play the, the exact same way that they did. But on my board altogether, between offensive tackles, interior offensive linemen, I have 22 graded players between rounds one through Seven. So I think that's a pretty good group, and I think it's still pretty deep. But to say that we could we could potentially see 18 offensive guards drafted, I feel like is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> well, and that's and that's what I'm thinking because I'm I'm thinking back to last year's class. Makai Becton and Tristan Wirfs alone, I think, cemented that. And Andrew Thomas was no slouch. He took a little bit longer to really kind of show his ability over the course of the season. But Worfs and Becton came out and were just, I mean, even as rookies playing in the NFL at premium positions, they immediately took to water. And they Wills as well. They, and yeah, no. And they really, it's one of those situations where you saw them manhandling people on a weekly basis, the way you would expect tenured pros to do. So there was a lot of yeah. blue chippers at the top of that draft who really panned out for the teams that took them. How much blue-chip talent do you think exists in this class by comparison? I don't know if there's going to be that much, especially at the top by any means. But I think, again, I still think it's a very good class. I think Panay Sewell is, is going to be one of those players. I mean, he's going to be 20 years of age just one or two months through the through this season. So whoever drafts him, he's, he's going to be 20 for – probably five or six weeks through the regular season. I mean, that's ridiculous. And to see what he did as an 18, 19-year-old two years ago, I mean, it is incredible. So the fact that he's going to be 6'5", 325, going to the next level and probably going to play for a team that, one, needs a franchise left tackle and, two, could potentially have a, a pretty good quarterback situation if he goes to the right spot. I mean, you look at Cincinnati, you, you look at potentially even Miami, um, or even a team like Carolina, if everything sh- shapes out for him, he's going to probably end up in the right spot. Um, you have Rashawn Slater as well. Those are probably the two clear-cut favorites, but I have Slater listed as a guard, and this will actually kind of perk the ears of Bills fans out there because I have Slater comparable to Deion Dawkins. I'm not a big pro-comparison guy, but I think stylistically they're pretty comparable. I think he's best suited to play inside at guard, which is what I felt like Deion Dawkins was best to do when he came out of Temple. But actually, he ended up playing left tackle. He's been a pretty good left tackle. Slater could play tackle. He he can play tackle. He's got the length and everything that everybody talks about from arm length and and all of that stuff. 
But I, again, I think with his squatty frame and, and the explosiveness and how well he gets to the second level, he's a guard. So I think they're, those are your blue chip players. They, either one of them are going to be the first offensive tackle off the board. Um, and, and then the next one will be the second one. But then when you get into it a little bit more, I mean, we're talking Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama, Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech, Dylan Ray Dunes, Tevin Jenkins. Probably the combination of those four players would be the next of the offensive tackle group. Um, and Elijah Vera Tucker out of, out of USC would be the next one. Um, so, I mean, your top-tier guys, Slater and Sewell, the guys that I just listed would probably be those second-tier guys that we, you could very well see in the first round. And, I mean, that's, that's impressive in its own right, right? So you're going to see probably six, seven offensive linemen taken there, and you're probably going to see six or seven potentially in the, in the second and third rounds as well. But, again, I go back to it. I mean, we're talking 20 offensive tackles, 18 guards, 12 centers, I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty big number, uh, 50 offensive linemen taken last year for, for this year's draft. So, again, I like it. I don't think if we, if we had to compare offensive tackles from this year to last year, I don't think it's, it's really the same. Offensive centers. Did I answer that question? No, no <laughs> you did. And no, you did. And centers now. Because he, we're talking with the offensive line class, and you've talked about guards, you've talked about tackles. Centers are one of those positions that are of premium importance to pretty much any – not just any NFL offense, but any NFL offense that, like Buffalo, wants to operate a vertical passing attack. If you want to try to throw the ball down the field and your offense isn't designed to try to spread a defense out horizontally pre-snap and then try to dink and, you know, West Coast-style dink and dunk your way down the field, you got to have a good center. And so when you think about that, what, what, what does this year's center class look like? I think it's actually a pretty good one, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe nine centers taken, Landon Dickerson, Creed Humphrey, the top two centers in this draft. Then you get into Josh Myers out of Ohio State, uh, Quinn Meneres out of um, Wisconsin Whitewater, who took Twitter by storm, and, and with how well he played at the Senior Bowl, he's really got five positions that he could truth, truthfully play, I think, but he, he could very well be a starting center and, and maybe ends up being comparable to like a, a player like James Daniels when he came out of uh, Iowa and went to the Bears. But then beyond that, you're, you're talking Kendrick Green out of Illinois, who, again, could play guard one game and center the next. He did it against Northwestern. He was, he was playing left guard, and then all of a sudden he was playing center, like in the middle of the game. So he, he's that, that type of talent. Uh, Jimmy Morisi out of Pittsburgh. A very intriguing center, definitely a day three option, but again, one of those intriguing options. So I think you get into those types of players and you're definitely talking about potential centers. Dylan Ray Dunes would be a, a, a player that could potentially, again, we talk about five position, the positional versatility. He did everything at the Senior Bowl and some people believe he could end up playing center just because of how athletic he truthfully is. So with the rarity of the position of how how I don't want to say the lack of talent in the position in the NFL because there are some very good centers, but teams that are in need of a starting center could very well plug a player from offensive tackle like Ray Dunes out of North Dakota State and plug him in at, at center. See, and that's interesting to me because, Chris, we, if there's anything that you know about Sean McDermott, it's how much he loves versatility in his offensive linemen. It's almost a must. Like, if you can't play... 
if you're not an all-star at what you do, specifically a bookend tackle, or you're not Mitch Morse, who's a, I want to say, a pretty solid technician in terms of working the pivot, you got to be able to do multiple things. That's how you keep your job here in Buffalo, is you're a, like, John Feliciano's a perfect example. You're a guard who can play, play center. center pretty well. And in a pinch, you're our, you, know, you talk about people who, players who back up to our swing tackles, you have a starting guard who will pretty seamlessly slot in as your center and let somebody else take over the guard spot. You have to have that versatility in order to kind of catch Sean McDermott's eye. So that's interesting hearing that there's a tackle out there that might be able to do some of that. Now, when we talk about the Bills specifically and how they might approach offensive line, as we kind of led into you know, with the up, into your spot here, we were talking about how for the Bills, there is no immediate glaring need. When you look at the makeup of their offensive line, they're going to return the five guys who were supposed to be their starters last year. Uh, they've got... Two, well, I think they're pretty decent tackles. What I'm interested in is to hear your assessment of the Bills' current offensive line. Because it's always it's always good to get an outsider's opinion before we talk about what you think we should be doing in the draft. Well, I mean, Deion Dawkins, you don't really have to – you don't have to worry about him. And Daryl Williams, Cody Ford, I think they're feasible. I think you could really swing them both back and forth between either you know left guard, right guard, or right tackle – um, you've got Feliciano. If he can stay healthy, I mean, he's he's going to play no matter what it feels like. Mitch Morse, again, if he can stay healthy, he's going to play no matter what. But health's been somewhat of a concern for both of those guys and even Cody Ford as well. So I, I would not be surprised if they took advantage of this draft and tried to continue to add to the the depth of the offensive line. I don't think they would necessarily do it in the first round unless somebody absolutely – jumps out at them that they feel it they felt was the best player available wasn't going to be there somebody like a a christian derisaw or a tevin jenkins tevin jenkins would be great for buffalo i mean he screams the buffalo bills because he's a nasty finisher played right tackle played left tackle some people view him as a guard so i think you bring him in and just with his with his play style the aggressiveness that he plays with an overall play strength he would be an immediate upgrade uh, for the offensive line. But I think realistically, when you look at day two of this draft, they're, they're going to look at those those players such as a, a Sam Cosme out of Texas, a Deontay Brown out of Alabama, maybe even an Aaron Banks, who I know we've got here on the, on the list of, of players to talk about. They're going to look at a couple of those guys, maybe even Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. He's a mauling type of right guard. You, you Again, you could play him at left guard if you needed to. But if you brought him in, you might even get him as a plug-and-play right guard, and then you have your option at right tackle between Williams and Cody Ford, which I think is what they want to do, is they want to give themselves options. Maybe it's on a week-to-week basis. Maybe it's on a specific down and distance. So I like overall the structure of the Bills' offensive line. I love how they continue to add to it. I mean, adding a player like Jameel Douglas this offseason is not a great signing by any means. Well, but what do you again, think about, Okay, what do you think about Forrest Lamp? That's one of the things that I we were talking about in the lead into this. Out of all the signings, I mean Bobby Hart, Bobby Hart, yeah, <laughs> Bobby Hart. Uh, <laughs> it was a hysterical day to be a Bills fan because uh, you you know that you're a good football team, and I want to maybe you can appreciate this being in the situation as a Detroit Lions fan as you are. <laughs> 
It's something it's telling that when social media loses its mind because you signed a backup backup tackle that might suck if he ever has to actually start. The fact that people lose their minds about that, that's a pretty good sign as to how good your team actually is because people are complaining, <laughs> complaining about things that aren't problems. So the, with that in mind, Forrest Lamp coming to the Buffalo Bills, what do you think of that acquisition to the roster pre-draft? I like it. I mean, I, I was surprised that he was let go, to be completely honest. I mean, I know they've given him quite the the opportunity to, to be in Los Angeles and be a starter, and he just can't stay healthy. So I was a little surprised that he's done, but he comes in here – with a, a bit of a fresh start, obviously. And if, you know, the ACL and just the overall injuries that he has suffered, I mean, we're talking broken fibula, the ACL, if he can get things healthy and, and right, again, he he could very well be a situational player for them at times. He could very well be a starter for them at times. And I think that's, it, it's it's a great problem to have. I've, I've said this numerous times from the Cover One Buffalo podcast to, to just Bill's fans in our Slack channel on Cover One, like, you guys don't really have much to complain about. You don't have much to really worry about. You have the luxury of having the 30th pick of the draft and having the possibility of taking whoever the hell you want. It's, I mean, as long as you're not taking a quarterback, you're fine. And you could take whatever you wanted, and it, it would make sense because you have that luxury. And I remember when Bills did not have that luxury. I mean, we're talking days at J.P. Lossman, Trent Edwards, that terrible quarterback situation – and, I mean, if the thing was put together with scotch tape, this thing is built well from the ground up, and you can do this the right way. So I, I like Forrest Lamp. I think he can be a, a nice addition to this offensive line. It wouldn't surprise me if he started a game or two, to be honest, if he's healthy. See, and this is why – so this leads me to my next point. As someone who – you study offensive line. It's more, you seem to have a real knack for it, which is why we bring you into these types of conversations. Here's one of the things we've learned about our GM. It's something that we touched on earlier this offseason that I think bears watching when it pertains to Buffalo. Brandon Bean, for all of the shuffling he's done with this offensive line over the three seasons here in Buffalo, and then – it becomes something of a trend when you look back to his time as an assistant GM in Carolina, the groups he was a part of there. He doesn't like to draft offensive linemen. Here is a Buffalo Bills GM. He's only drafted one inside the top 60, and he's only taken two ever. I mean, one of them was Wyatt Teller, who's now killing it. He'd over. like to have that one back. Yeah, I'm sure he'd like to have, he'd that, like one to back. have that back. But that was a fifth-round pick that, to your point earlier— some of these guys get into the NFL and find a little more consistency, get some coaching, mm-hmm. and be, they, they, that's when they reach their potential. Wyatt Teller is absolutely one of those players. But he, he almost avoids drafting offensive linemen. And he was quoted heading into the 2019 season when the Bills finally were flush with cash, had money to spend, knew that they needed to build around their rookie quarterback. He was quoted as saying that, it was important to him to know that his offensive lineman could actually play at an NFL level. And he's illustrated that. I mean, he's used free agency and trades to add eight times the number of players to our roster than he's used to procure via the draft. That's a pretty wow. start. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a, 
when you hear the numbers, I mean, we, we ran them back. All the moves Bean has made between Spencer Long, Brian Winters, you know, he goes out and he finds these guys, Russ Bodine in 2018. We got a pick for him. Who he managed to flip for a pick. He loves stacking <laughs> proven talent on the offensive line at that position. And then you look at what he did this offseason. So he brings in Lamp. He brings in Bobby Hart, who has 66 starts. Jamil Douglas has 11 starts. Ike Bakker had seven starts for Buffalo last season. You throw in two offensive tackles under starter-level multi-year deals. I think that takes Buffalo not only out of the offensive tackle market, it makes interior offensive line pick something of a, almost a luxury pick at this point. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he avoids them like the plague in the draft because he wants to know that there's that floor of production. Do you think that's smart? As someone who studies different teams' approaches to the draft, do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? Personally, I don't think it's a it's a good idea. Uh, if it were me, I, I would be kind. Of, I wouldn't be going an opposite way because again, he's he's getting a lot of nice players, nice additions outside of Bobby Hart, nice players for one year deals, and it buys you some time. And he understands where the production is with these specific players. He doesn't have to worry about giving a four year or five year contract to an offensive lineman that just doesn't pan out. And like the Wyatt Teller thing, I'll never understand it. I, I remember being on Jerry Sullivan's show when the news broke, and I was like, wait, are you kidding me? Like, that's unbelievable. And and then we, we talked about it because I was a big Wyatt Teller guy when he came out. So, like, I, I, I couldn't believe that they traded him. But ultimately, yeah, I, it, like, it wouldn't surprise me. With those numbers, that's that's so crazy to me. I would, I would be somewhat surprised now to see them take an offensive lineman um, just simply because the numbers just teams have trends, right? Teams have things that they just don't do. The Detroit Lions were a prime example. They didn't take a cornerback in the first round since 1997 when they took Terry Fair, the pick before Randy Moss. And then, oh. you know, 20, what, 23 years go by, and then they took Jeff Okuda. So teams have trends where they just don't take specific positions. The Packers are another one. They haven't taken an offensive lineman in the first round since Brian Belaga, and that was 16, 17 years ago. So it's just what teams do, and they neglect certain spots, and I think a lot of it is because you know you get a general manager in. He worked as an assistant for a long time, through the ranks, did the hard work, and maybe there was just a specific position that he studied and focused on, and there was another one that he didn't. And if he's unsure about something like offensive linemen, He's just not willing to roll the dice or really put much trust or stock into it, which I think if you're a Bills fan, you can kind of respect like, hey, I'm actually glad that this guy's not spending second and third round picks on players that he has no idea much about because he doesn't understand how to evaluate them. So I can respect that from that perspective, but I don't agree necessarily with the approach of that because when you look at offensive linemen and you, if you look at last year, I mean, we talked about already 50 offensive linemen taken. If you didn't take one of those guys – I mean, you're starting to do yourself a little bit of a disservice, especially when you are now in this position of going 13-3, and competing in the AFC Championship game. You can kind of afford to take a a flyer in the third round or fourth round on an offensive lineman in hopes that he pans out. So I hope he goes against it a little bit this year, and maybe it's pick 94, and he's like, hey, Aaron Banks from Notre Dame, that's our guy. Or pick 162, Robert Hainsey, Notre Dame, that's our guy. So – I, it's that's a crazy number to me. That's wow. That's a like I I've written that one down. 
Well, and and so I guess it's crazy. Sound, it's not like we're wasting first round picks on tight ends. <laughs> Oh man, that's a that hurts, man. Chris comes, Chris comes from in. the top rope. Chris comes in from the top rope. E- Ebron, Hawkinson, Pettigrew. Jesus Christ, <laughs> man! Oh, Chris, well, you it's been Chris. lovely chatting. We'll uh, we'll talk. Next <laughs> He's like, we're wrapping this thing up. I'm sorry, I got, I, my phone just rang. I gotta go. I gotta take this. So. so <laughs> So in the pursuit of some of these players, because I really do believe that the Bills will continue this trend of not reaching. Uh, One final pick about the class before we get to a couple of the players I want some specific insight on. Who is your – you had one of the greatest moments, I think, in draft – Rockpile Report draft preview series history. Oh, yeah, Greg Little. When we asked you about why Greg Little (laughs) fell. And so I guess my question is – who do you think is that guy this year? The team, the guy who everyone's like, he used to be good. How come nobody thinks that anymore? Man, oh, that's a tough one. Because um, nobody I, sucks I'm as bad as Greg. I'm, it's going to, man, I'm going to go with another player, and that's that's Walker Little. It's another Little here. Um, I'll go with Walker Little out of Stanford, and – I only say this because the guy hasn't played football in two seasons, and I think it's almost three seasons now. And he's just one of those players that played in in, in the Pac-12, and he was good, and he was consistent at one point. But again, his last significant start or game was in the first week of 2019. Now, he shows really good athletic ability if he can if he can stay healthy and everything checks out there, I mean, he could, again, be much better than I anticipate. And I, I did give him a third-round grade off the tape, but I think if, if there's somebody – there's people out there that said, like, for a little stretch of time after his pro day because he ran a 4-8-1, people were like, yeah, he's going to go in the first round. He's going to go over the too. And it's like that's kind of what they did with Greg Little. And it was like, look, I mean, I see what you're saying, but he's not that good. He wasn't that good in 2019 either. I mean, he's got good He's got good length. He's got, again, impressive footwork for a player of his size. But his hands are relatively slow. He can't stay healthy. So he would be that guy. The next one, I would say, just to, to kind of throw it out there, I would, I would probably roll with Jalen Mayfield. Um out of Michigan because another guy that couldn't stay healthy, his his athletic testing this offseason was god awful. I think he ran like a five three four. His agility times were really poor. Um, so it makes you wonder, like, you know, he, he he played a little bit this year. He started two games. He got done with an, a high ankle sprain, and this was the athletic testing. So it's like, is this is this because your rehab's just been been poor? Is this because you're just not doing what you need to be doing? And with only 15 career starts, uh, he's a big project. And I think, you know, the tape shows he could be a second, third-round type of player. But people really believed, like, this guy was going to be a first-round type of guy. And I thought there was really high spots, but ultimately uh, I would definitely probably stay away. No, see, that's what I love because I, and I remember Chris making a gif. He was like, we had to interrupt the game so that I could rewind the a, TV. Well, it was a preseason game against Carolina, against Carolina where, in the fourth quarter where Voshan Joseph just put Greg Little yeah. on roller skates. And you're like, this is a this is a 212 pound linebacker who just 
somehow got this left tackle moving so awkwardly that he literally just looked like he was on roller skates and fell down. And it must have been one of the most vindicating moments for you. To just know that you're like, oh, there it is. There's the guy that I trashed because he sucks. I think you guys tweeted me it, too. We did. Oh, yeah, we definitely. We're petty. We keep track of this stuff. We are the pettiest, (laughs) hardest drinking Bills podcast. It was like the fourth preseason game and you're playing your second round pick in the fourth quarter. (laughs) Yeah. So of the players that I want more information on, specifically from a Bills fan perspective, the, the, the first guy for me selfishly is Landon Dickerson, uh, interior offensive lineman out of Alabama. Rosa. Here's what I'll say. One of my favorite things about watching him, getting to watch him play this year, every game. I mean, he, he transferred from FSU. He had some issues. And then he comes to Alabama and he plays the season. And then he tears up his knee in the championship game. For the SEC. Or no, the playoff game. I think it was yeah. a playoff game to go to the NC to, to go to the championship game. And it's like, son of a bitch, there's our center. But then I know for a fact our backup is pretty damn good. And it's like, oh, because that's Alabama. They just recruit. They stack yeah. four and five star recruits. They're they're so deep, it's ridiculous. But the thing I loved about Landon Dickerson was that he suited up for that national title game. They let, that's how much they respected him, was that they let him not only suit up and come out and take the coin flip with a torn ACL. They let him come out and take the final snap of the game to kneel the football for the victory. Yeah. So it speaks to who he can like. That's a team he literally just inherited. Not even being a member of the football team, he showed up in their program And by the end of the season, he was not only a leader of that team, but he was so highly thought of that Nick Saban said, look, I got to give this guy a bone. He's hurt, but I'm going to make him. I'm going to put him on the active roster and I'm going to let him go out there and do this. And I'm sure there's people who will finger wag that decision. But you know that that resonated in the locker room. But to know that Landon Dickerson so quickly acclimated himself to Alabama, I mean, that speaks to his character. There's nothing there's no athletic testing that can take that away from him. In terms of the type of football player you see when you look at tape, what do you think of him? Yeah, no doubt about it. He's a terrific leader, and it goes to show. I mean, when you can come into a locker room that's built with four or five-star recruits who kind of have their own vision and their own mantra and everything else, and you just fit right in and you slide in and, and you start and you take over a job and you you do that, and then obviously you see the injury – and you saw every single player on that football team run out and and give him the love and respect that he earned and deserves. I mean, again, you mentioned character. It goes to show how high of a character type of player he is. Now, Ante, I think he is a phenomenal player. I think he's the best center in the draft. I think he, for, for a player at 6'6", 325, he's a smooth operator, man. He moves well in, in space. He, again, for a player that size, to do what he does, it's incredible. He's constantly looking for work. He's got great strength. He plays through the whistle. He's got a consistent anchor, and that's always a concern for a center is how strong is their lower body? How consistent is their anchor? I mean, there's players like, you know, Garrett Bradbury. Uh, when I was growing up, Dominic Riola for for, uh, the, for the Lions, it was like you'd always see them get blown off the ball right after snapping it, whereas with Dickerson, his anchor is consistent. He resets his hands. And he just does what he needs to do. He rolls his hips and he does what he needs to do. So that's all great. 
the injuries are obviously the biggest concern. If he didn't have the injuries, we'd be talking about him for a first-round lock, guaranteed, probably top 20, 25 player, and he could very well still go in the first round. Don't get me wrong. I mean, teams that have multiple first-round picks, the Jets, Jacksonville, they make a ton of sense for a player like him when you have multiple first-round picks. You could probably still get him in the, in the beginning of the second round, but if you're thinking like a team like Buffalo or Green Bay were potentially taking him because they have needs on the interior parts of their offensive line, you might just say, screw it, we're going to take him. Especially a team like for, for Jacksonville, get Trevor Lawrence, a, a young quarterback, get him a, a, a high-caliber center like Landon Dickerson, put him on that team, and and maybe, maybe it works. But four season-ending injuries in five seasons is concerning. We'll probably talk about him, it feels like, on day two, but – I think he would fit in with Buffalo when you talk about the, the nastiness and kind of the chip oh. on your shoulder and the edge that, that, that those players play with. I mean, John Feliciano with Landon Dickerson is like, where's the lotion? Well, that's, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's exactly that's, like, it. Let, I'm a guy who loves – I mean, I played – when I played football, there was no part of it. Like, that's why I can't – I still to this day can't shoot a free throw to save my life in basketball. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. We went to a party – with my wife at a friend's house who was right next to a park, and we all drunkenly decided to go have a free throw competition between 30 people, including his 58-year-old mother, his 61-year-old father, his 40-something-year-old sister who was pregnant at the time. I'm the only person who didn't sink one. I went 0 for 10. I'm the only one. I, I have no refinement to what I do, but I played offensive line, and it was hand placement and it was just knowing how to like you you can do technical things there was no finesse to, to what i did in football and so with that yeah. but, but but you you learn how to be nasty and you learn how to play with a little bit of sandpaper when you're not a very technical guy and so watching a guy like landon dickerson he's a throwback he's this guy who after they draw a false start, uh, an offsides on fourth and one they draw an offsides in the uh, against florida and the national in the SEC championship game, and he gets up and he's clapping in the defensive lineman's face, and he's walking. Mm-hmm. As soon as they like, to your point, you talk about always looking for work. He finishes guys. He finishes them and immediately gets up and he's just like, okay, the whistle hasn't gone. Is there somebody else? Is there anyone yeah. else who is just sleeping out here that I can mop up? It's like that's his mentality, and you want that in a center. I, I really think he'd I I would absolutely go for the Jurgens if we were to get him and John Feliciano and Cody Ford because I think the three of them could be the Bash brothers for the Buffalo Bills in a, in a season. Oh, that would two. be unreal. Creed Humphrey, the other center that I Bills fans, you know, we heard it in the intro to the show, and this is why I want to ask you about this now. Creed Humphrey, interior offensive line out of Oklahoma, his coach was very flattering to him in the intro. And he, because of his senior bowl stuff and because of the his pro days, people love this guy as uh, maybe second. People are like, oh, well, if the Bills in the second round or if we trade back and can take a Creed Humphrey. I've even seen some some lunatics out there talking about taking him at 30. What's your assessment of Creed Humphrey? I think he's one of the most overlooked players in the draft. I know the intro, you guys played it for me, and I, I know it's uh, you know a little a little much from the coach. And I, I mean, I can't fault the coach for 
pumping up one of his own guys. Like I said, I would love to hear what he said about Cody Ford or any other player that he's had, like Drew Samia or, or anything, Ben Powers or somebody like that. But ultimately, I understand it completely. Uh, but for Creed, he's he, he was a top 20 pick in the summer. Everybody thought he was a first-round lock, and we've seen kind of this trend where we've seen in recent memory Ryan Kelly, Frank Ragnow, Billy Price, centers going in the first round. And it makes sense. Well, Creed, it felt like, was going to be one of those guys, and he still very well could be, right? Like, he, he could go to, to any team there in the back end of the first round, including Buffalo. Um, but on, on tape, I mean, he is a – a player that has great lateral quickness. He's got great hand placement. It helps him um, when he's doing executing reach blocks. He's he's one of the best at executing a reach block. He's so consistent in those zone schemes, and I love seeing it from him. Um, he's a vocal leader too. When you watch him, he is constantly, and I mean constantly, every single play pointing to the linebackers, to the defense. He's got a blitz here. He's got a blitz there. And then you've got snap-to-step quickness. It's it's so good. It's so effective. And I think in the pro day, he had the best timing uh, of, of athletic timing of any center, I think, ever, if if I remember correctly. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, I mean, it just goes to show how, how much of a freak athlete he is. And I think in his own scheme, he makes a ton of sense. I mean, he's got 2,500 career snaps at center. He probably is who he is at this point. I don't know if you're ever going to get much more out of him. He, he might get a little bit better, but he's never allowed a sack. He's played 37 total games in his career. Um, and he's just one of those guys that's been incredibly consistent. And I think he just gets overlooked because of the position that he plays and because of Landon Dickerson, right? Like Landon Dickerson, we, we already talked about him. He's such a fun player, but Creed Humphrey is fun in his own right. And I, I think even though some of his tape can get a, a little bit stale or a little bit boring just because it's kind of vanilla at the same time, vanilla's good. Well, that's okay. You, that makes me think of Mitch Morse, to be honest, as you're talking about it. Mitch Morse doesn't blow the doors off anyone, but he's a good, he, he's not a mauler in the run game. He's not, uh, but at the same time, what he is. Is I mean, B- Brian Baldinger probably is the one person I respect the most in terms of the attention they've paid to Mitch Morse. Because this season, he did multiple Baldy's breakdowns of just Mitch Morse and how he's like, look, yeah. you know, nobody talks about this guy. But here's a guy who's like a ninja when it comes to working in pass pro in the pivot. And he's the reason Josh Allen is all of a sudden comfortable standing for three and a half, four seconds. <laughs> He's standing for four seconds so that he can deliver downfield for 45 yards to Stephon Diggs. And you go, well, that doesn't happen if he doesn't feel comfortable. Well, that comes from the fact that he's got a center who, even though he's not a mauler, what he is is he's very refined. He knows how to pick up where the blitz is coming from. He knows how to at least isolate a target, dispose of one pass rusher, move to the next, and handle him enough to give Josh time. You need cerebral guys like that. Where do you think a team would have to take Creed Humphrey in this draft? Like, where would we? Where would the Bills? If you're sitting at thirty, he's is he there at thirty? And do you have to take him there, or is he a guy who might fall to the back end of the second? He could be there at thirty. Um, like I said, though, I mean, twenty three, twenty five with the Jets and Jacksonville. They they've got multiple firsts, so they make sense if they went after a center just simply to upgrade the position. We young quarterbacks. I mean, both teams are going to have rookie QBs starting for them. You might want to develop some type of chemistry. I mean, 
you it's the importance of ha- like you just said the importance of having a center 24 with pittsburgh as well i mean uh, pouncey's gone they, they they need help up front and this could be something that you, you just need to, to get done and you take the, the best one potentially on your board um, and I mean, they've taken offensive linemen in the past too with with Pittsburgh, especially interior offensive linemen. David DeCastro when he came out of Stanford. So Creed Humphrey makes a lot of sense there. If they have concerns over the health of Landon Dickerson, he could be gone by 20, 23, 24, 25. I think if he's there at thirty, yeah, you have to definitely consider it. You have to think about the possibility of him coming in and not necessarily replacing Mitch Morse right away, but definitely down the down the line. Because, I mean, Mitch Morse, again, I mentioned the health with him. I don't think he's the youngest guy in the block by any means. So no. if and age it was starts... Con- yeah, his concussion history is scary. And the fact that he took a pay cut this year just to stick with the Bills tells you that both play... And they said, you know, Brandon Bean did the right thing. He came out and he was like, oh, the player volunteered to take a pay cut. Nobody yeah. volunteers to take a pay cut unless they're worried about their future. So yep. he did that to ensure that he'll be a starter in 2021. Beyond that, it it gets dicey because the team isn't on the hook for any considerable salary with him. The dead yeah. cap isn't there. As he gets older and less durable, it just it opens the door to a lot of things. And if you have if you yeah. have a team that finally found its stride, and I think that's why center's import so important here. You found a team that finally found its confidence when they hired this guy to come man the pivot. And so with that in mind, if you lose him, you don't want to know that you're going to throw in another Russ Bodine who's just going to throw your multi-million dollar quarterback to the Wolves and stymie everything that you tried to grow with your offense. All the playmakers, everything else can't fix a bad offensive line. So right now is the chance for the Bills to lay the groundwork for that. That's why Landon Dickerson and Creed Humphrey are so interesting to me. And it sounds like they'd have to move pretty early if they're going to try to get one of those guys. Aaron Banks is another name. He played, he's a guard, a pure guard, but he's been touted as one of these guys who's scheme specific. And I don't know that he necessarily fits what the Bills do, but he's got a pedigree from one of the better offensive lines in football over the last season or two. What do you think of his projection to the NFL? Well, he's definitely going to be a mid-round pick for sure. I mean, we, you're probably talking third, yes. fourth round, but yeah. I mean, and this is a guy. This was a guy that had 25 offers to go play college football. I mean, he literally could have walked probably anywhere and got one. And I mean, it, rightfully so. He's six five, three thirty. He's every bit of that. Why wouldn't a team want him? He's experienced though. Thirty eight career games. He's a, he's a mauler. I mean, he caught my eye two years ago, and I'm, I'm I thought he was going to go pro last year. I'm glad he stayed and, and came out this year. Um, but again, with the massive frame, he's able to match power with power on any defender he faces. He's just got powerful hands, strong um, with with his play strength and just ability to redirect defenders. Um, his feet definitely need to get faster, and that's probably why people say he's so scheme so scheme specific because he's probably not like, like I mentioned. Creed Humphrey is going to thrive in a in a zone scheme where he can kind of step to his to his left and. And, and step to his right and get out in space and do those types of things where Banks might not necessarily do that. He might be more of just in that power type of game or more so just blocking man-on-man, taking the guy right across from you, which is okay. 
but that might limit the, the possibilities for him. But so many teams run a, a variety of schemes that he's going to have to figure things out anyways. So I still I still love the player. I think he's a really fun fun player, and I'm not being like super on the fence about a guy like I like a lot of the players that I scouted this year and did the guide on and he's in there as the 77th player so I think that gives a pretty good value or range of where I think he'll go could he play for the for the Bills absolutely Um, but when we talk about the players that like they've been kind of looking for I don't think um, for specifically the Bills he's probably not going to be the guy Uh, if he is awesome but um, I still I still love the player I think he can be uh, not necessarily a plug-and-play left guard, but I think he's somebody that you can bring in and, and within time, probably within his rookie season, he will play. So, obviously, everybody, as you're going through this process, I already said it, Creed Humphrey and Landon Dickerson are two of my man crushes on the interior offensive line. Everybody develops them. It's it's personal bias. It's, just, it's the nature yep. of the job. When you look at this class – and you think about the guys who you think represent the best values, just in terms of, you know, we, we talked about Wyatt Teller and how you were dumbfounded that you're like, I was a Wyatt Teller guy. He went in the fifth round. Now you see what he's doing for Cleveland. I'm, painfully, not in a Bills uniform, but he's developed into a, a high-end starter at the guard position. Guard and center are probably the focus of this year's draft class for the Buffalo Bills if there's going to be any offensive line draft picks. So at those positions, who do you who are your favorite value picks and who do you have in there as sleepers that could probably surprise some people and maybe develop into some nice starters down the road? Well, I'll go with two players that I have listed as offensive tackles. They could very well play offensive tackle at the next level. Um, but again, I, I've, I've kind of mentioned them already, and they could very well play guard or potentially center. But I'll start with kind of my man crush, and that's Dylan Ray Dunes out of out of North Dakota State. I, I think this guy is phenomenal. I, I thought he could have played um, for probably a Big Ten team, like you know, a team like Minnesota or West, even Wisconsin. But obviously, he ended up going to North Dakota State. Um, he was a three-sport athlete in high school. It goes to show just his athleticism. And when he's playing five positions during the week of the Senior Bowl, it just goes to show. So um, with, with that, I, I think that you get a guy that's smooth and quick with his kick slide overall. He's a good um, blocker in space. He's consistent with his anchor against power, but he could still get stronger. Like there are definitely times where he loses ground. His anchor isn't fully developed where it needs to be, but He's a strong finisher. We talk about guys like, you know, Landon Dickerson looking for work and, and, and Tevin Jenkins looking for work and blocking beyond the whistle. And Dylan Ray Duns is definitely one of those guys. I have a clip somewhere on my timeline of him legitimately taking a guy and going 15 yards down the field. And it's it's one of those things like, like the movie The Blind Side, right? Like just yep. taking him and going, going a mile down the field. So I think he'll go somewhere on the second day of the draft but I think there's a lot of first-round upside to him and, and give him some time. When, when I talk about players that fit the Bills or I could see wearing that Bills helmet, that jersey, and being a part of the culture that's built there, this is the guy. This is the guy that makes so much sense. And he would, he would mesh so well with a player like Josh Allen. He would mesh so well with this offensive line and, and just so well with the community in the city. But – Again, with the trend, like you mentioned already with offensive linemen, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be somebody they take. Next would be Brady Christensen out of BYU. 
he is one of the more underrated players, I think, in the draft. He's a he's a three sport athlete himself, but he's got over twenty five hundred snaps played at left tackle, and with, with the consistency that you see in his game. I mean, he's only given up three sacks over three seasons. So uh, it goes to show how consistent he is overall. He was a, a first-team All-American, which is impressive this past season, considering the the offensive tackles that we're talking about in this draft. He got first-team All-American. So he's a strong technician. He's a little bit more of like a waist bender rather, rather than a knee bender. Um, so he'll have to work on that a little bit because when you have that, that kind of forward lean to your game, you're going to get beat by the speed rushers. You're going to lose to some of the power. Um, but he's got strong hands, man. He redirects defenders pretty well, and it wouldn't surprise me if he played left tackle or right tackle, but I could definitely see him thrive as a guard for a team. So if the Bills felt like he could fit and play right guard and, and maybe he was somebody that was there in the second round at 61, he could he could very well be somewhat of a home run pick. Um, and then just going into some of the guards that I, I really like and I think could be really great um, – I'll start. I'll, I got two more for you. So Kendrick Green out of Illinois, just a, a nasty finisher. If you can pull up his <laughs> See, highlights like on YouTube, I, I, I mean, it, the dude, like when he was playing Northwestern, every they, they were wearing white jerseys, Illinois was, and he he had purple all over his uniform. He was the only <laughs> player that did. Every, everybody else was white jerseys and looked like they just got off the bus. So he's one of the better finishers of any interior offensive lineman I've seen in this class. I, I mentioned positional versatility. He can play left guard one minute and play center in, in the snap of a finger. So he's got 33 straight starts to finish his career. I, I think he's somebody that's going to be taken much sooner than people anticipate. And I think he'll be somebody that can be really, really good. Um, and then the last one will be probably one of my favorite day three picks, and that's Robert Hainsey out of Notre Dame. I would be surprised if he went on the second day of the draft, but – He's, he's a player that's got 33 starts at right tackle. He probably would have had f- close to 40 consecutive starts had he not broke his ankle um, in 2019. It only it limited him to eight games. But he, he played right tackle for them. He was a team captain for two seasons. He's got 46 games played. I think he'll play guard at the next level. He'll have to get stronger, so you probably won't see him for two years, maybe another year. But he's quick out of his stance. And when you talk technician, something that you're not, <laughs> he is. Yeah. And he's yeah. he does such a good job with his hand placement, putting it on the hips of defenders and redirecting them that way. And we talk about zone scheme and reach blocks. I think he can do that. So I think he's got the potential to start down the road for sure. See, and I like I like knowing this because it gives me some names to look at. So that I don't feel so hopeless. I'm like, maybe there's guys. Maybe Bean will step up. But I just remember Bean's face. Last year when he traded up for Cody Ford. And well, no, the 2019 draft. When he traded up for Cody Ford. And he fist pumped. Like, when you watch the Bills embedded videos of that. That whole exchange. He was like, oh my God. He thought that when Carolina traded up, they were getting Cody Ford. And <laughs> instead they took Greg Little, which is hilarious in its own way. But then yeah. he immediately was like, get back on the phone, make this happen. And he fist pumped when we got Cody for it. And now he's playing guard. <laughs> and he's had to bring in Darrell Williams and pay him a ton of money. I feel like he could be gun shy in the offensive line, but it'll be interesting to see if that hasn't precluded him from doing the smart thing, which is, hey, 
you're already paying a multi-million dollar linebacker. Now you're on the cusp of maybe paying another and also paying a multi-million dollar quarterback. You can't keep finding guys in free agency. You're going to keep rolling the dice, and you've been lucky so far. If you come up snake eyes one year, that's your quarterback's ass. <laughs> you can't yep. keep banking yep. on that. So it's good to know that there's depth out there, and I, I just can't wait to see how this plays out. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your work and where your upcoming radio spots are? Yes, yeah, so obviously you can find me on Twitter at Russ NFL Draft. You can read all of my written content at CoverOne.net. You can also find the Cover One Draft podcast on Spreaker, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole nine. Wherever you get your podcasts, just search Cover One Draft, and you'll hear me ramble for forty-five minutes on players. Um, radio stuff, yeah, every Tuesday night on ten ten KXPS, eight thirty p.m. Eastern time for me. It's California time, so I'm, I'm catching people on their drive home. But uh, catch me on there for 30, 45 minutes, and we have a good time. We talk about, right now, draft stuff, but any other time, it's whatever. Um, as of right now, I don't have any radio spots for the week so far, but that normally changes from a day-to-day. So you can pretty much hear me anywhere, but uh, the best place to find me is definitely Twitter, at Russ NFL Draft. Russ Brown, National Scout for Cover 1. He's on Twitter, at Russ NFL Draft. Drew, we just... Finished recording with him. We did something off air that we, we, we probably we probably should should uh, should talk about here. But we had Russ on camera, and Drew and I are relatively the same height. And we went back to back to show Russ, hey, we're same height, you know, give or take an inch, maybe half an inch. And then we went shoulder to shoulder, and Drew stuck his right arm out, and so. Russ looked at that. Just he got got a got a look at Drew's reach, and then me with my left arm extended out to match Drew's reach, and I came to the bottom of your hand, the top of your wrist, and you know, you could easily be an offensive line, Drew, with your reach, except you have no height, no athleticism, and bad teeth, which would make you a good a good selection to. Play for the Lions, like we talked about. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is because we also talked about this idea of an ape index. The ape index. Did you I pull know. that up on the internet? Yeah. So my ape index, and I want you guys to understand what this is. It's something that you... It's, I wonder, in talking to him, he's like, oh, you must have played offensive tackle when I'm explaining this to him. So it's a measure of your wingspan to height ratio. And they do it with, uh, it applies to a lot of different sports. It started with rock climbing. Because in order to be a great rock climber, you need a solid reach advantage over what your height is. Because that helps you scale rock faces. So the average human being has a ape index of one. And it's just a ratio of wingspan to height. So, what it comes down to is when they started breaking this out, they said, okay, rock climbers seem to fall, good ones seem to fall between 1 and 1.02. You have to be 1.02 in order to be a good rock climber. Well, then they took it a step further and they started applying it to other sports. And they said, okay, most NBA players fall on the spectrum of 1.02 to 1.07. Kevin Durant is like a 1.075, right? 
That's huge. Kevin Durant is this freakish athlete. Yeah, pretty good player. Michael pretty soft personality. Michael Phelps. <laughs> I love pretty soft personality. Michael Phelps, Olympic swimmer. He's like a 1.6, 1.7. Sonny Liston and I, yeah, the boxer Sonny Liston and I, are both 1.08 on the ape index. That's how long my arms are compared to my height. Should we? Should we? When we finish recording here, should we? Should I set up the tripod and get a? We'll uh, shoot a video. You guys can find it over at Rockpile Report. But either way, thank you, Russ, for coming on the show and kind of walking us through this offensive line class because I feel like there's some opportunities here for Buffalo to to fit our needs in the intermediate rounds. Maybe even even if they have to go early, there's no glaring weaknesses. I mean, obviously, there's some positions we'd like them to address with a good player. But if they feel that the offense is going to be the way this team wins and they want to sustain that on a cheap contract, it sounds like there's a lot of interior offensive line prospects that will be available for Buffalo. I like the sound of that. It almost seems like what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Schofield with the wide receivers that you mentioned. Like, yeah, like it, it doesn't look like it's a need but we can get out from all these contracts next year. Yes. So it seems like with, with all these one-year deals that we have, with Bobby Hart, Forrest Lamp, I think we can get out of Mitch Morse at the end of this year if they, we wanted to. They may not prioritize it, but there's going to be— It doesn't look like it's a need, but it's a sneaky need. Next year, depending on how this goes, and Brandon, I'm going to say this and people are going to go, they're, they're drunk. I promise you I'm not. They could be looking at a situation where going into next year— I mean, they're not tied significantly financially to John Feliciano. No. Uh, Cody Ford would be entering either the final year or the second last year of his contract. I don't know. Call on if you know. They could be looking at a world where he's Cody Ford's your backup, Forrest Lamp's your starter, and a Landon Dickerson, maybe he's your starting guard. Maybe he's waiting for... (laughs) It's... It's or maybe some of these other mid-round players like the tackle from North Dakota State. Maybe he's the guy that they're grooming to eventually take over one of those spots because he's proven he can play all five. Center, guard, he can do it all. At that point, I'd feel a lot better about the future of this team. And I can't wait to see what they do. But guys, we've talked about this enough. We gotta get the hell out of here. I'll say this: I am just now. I've been nursing this mead throughout the entire podcast because it tastes so good. I don't want to finish it. What about? I gave you the you had the uh, the FC Buffalo from was it Big Ditch? Yeah, who gives a shit about that? You don't like? Didn't like it? Average. 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 Unremarkable. It's a session IPA. Listen, session. Any beer that says session in the name of it, I immediately think to myself, well, okay, so you watered down a good beer. And you took a good beer, you knocked on the ABV, and now you're going to hand it to me and go, oh, hey, take this. We we made it in a, like a limited run. Well, it's limited for a reason, and hopefully it stays there. This mead, incredible. Strawberry Sweethearts, Superstition Meadery, I'm blown away. And now he's created a monster, the Kyle Washington, because now I'm going to go chasing more meads. Yeah. and I'm going to go find more of these. Yeah, and next week we'll... Probably do another beer, another beer review as well as another 
positional group we got Brett Coleman on next week for we the have defensive both line. Both of the hosts, uh, the, the host and co-host of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder, coming on to talk about defensive line and linebackers. It's going to be a great week of podcasting. Thank you to Russ Brown for coming here and talking to us about offensive line. We've taken up enough of your time. we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Russ Brown. And this has been your Rock Pal Report. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.